Hi everyone. It's been a month, I know, since I last released an episode, but I'm back. It's not that I haven't had anything happening, it's just the timing hasn't felt quite right. It's been a month of just circling the wagons. I love that phrase. Being present in my life and doing some of the grunt work in my own personal development. Something that is brand new this year is my Patreon page. It's where listeners who want to go extra deep and have that front row view of my journey are welcome to become my patrons in a very real sense of the word and in return receive bonus content. I have sometimes wavered. I've been a little hesitant as to whether I'm oversharing or not. So this kind of solves the problem. Those who want the nitty gritty details will get it. And those who just want the meat and potatoes will get what they want too. But now without any anchor sponsorship ads. Take today's episode for example. Patrons will have access to the full length unedited video footage of my interview with Jenea Barnes. That is a whopping extra hour of content. So if that sounds a little daunting, you may be thanking me that I'm providing a condensed version for your listening pleasure today. I'm hoping it's a win-win for everyone involved. And hey, if it's not, I can change it up. That's one of the cool things about having uh, one's own podcast. There's no one to answer to except to yourself and to your audience. Another new item I'm excited to announce is a brand new segment I'm introducing into the podcast. And I'm pretty sure you're going to love it. If you do, I ask that you please let me know because I know of someone who will be thrilled to read some fan mail. And I'll just leave it at that for now. So with all of that out of the way, let me officially wish you a happy new year, my friends. I'm excited to see what 2021 has in store for us. And I am so glad we're on this journey together. Thanks for joining me in Sheffy's Sandbox. I'm April D. Scheffler, and I invite you to play with me and my guest today, Jenea Barnes. Welcome, Jenea. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you. Well, I don't think any type of get together or meeting of souls is complete without a beverage. So in this segment, we pop into a virtual coffee house before hitting the beach. And being the benevolent host that I am, your order is on me. So what order do you give the barista? Well, if I was going to do coffee, which would be my favorite, but my body gets really cranky at me when I have have coffee, I would do an almond milk cortado. But to keep my body happy, I'm going to do some Tulsi tea today. Okay, great. Well, now that we have our refreshing beverages, let's dive right in. On this podcast, we allow you to shine brightly. As Marianne Williamson said, your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. So as you play big, Jenea, are there any claims to fame 
times that people may have seen you or your work? Claims to fame. I've had such a weird life and I've done a lot of things. So right now, this portion of my life, I am helping people heal and helping other people play big. And in that process, I get to play big because I get to pull together all of my experiences, all my knowledge, and really let that shine in the way that I can bring forth other people's healing, other people's things they need to move. But other things that I've done that I shined, I guess... A long time ago, I was voted Best Emerging Artist by the San Francisco Bay Guardian Readers. Um, oh, can I just interrupt you? What kind of artist? Like musical artist or like um, with paint? I used to be a photographer. I guess I still am a photographer. I just don't shoot that often anymore. But my eye still sees the same way in my own unique way. And I traveled the country photographing ghost bikes. I self-published a book. I'm currently writing a book. So a lot of my things right now are on the table getting ready to bloom to play my biggest. All right. Our next segment is a linguistic tag. Guests are asked to use uh, to choose a word or phrase that they would like to hear used more often in everyday conversation. Something that doesn't get enough play or enough airtime. And the prior guest chose abundance. So you are tasked to try to somehow fit that into our conversation today, okay? <laughs> That's such an easy one. <laughs> now, you also get to choose a word for the next guest to dance with. And it could be a peculiar word that you find funny or that resonates with you. Uh, so when I asked you what you're laying down for the next guest to pick up, you gave me the word, uh, efficacy. Is that right? That is the word I gave you. Well, it's so true when you talk about how everybody has their own view and has their own. And I think that's one thing people get so bent out of shape with is we as humans generally expect that everybody sees things the way that we see them. And some of us look at things from every angle. I remember years and years ago, long before I was doing this work, would ask people, well, this is not necessarily my opinion, but if you thought about it from this way or this way or this way, so looking at things from different angles and really being able to open up people's possibilities. And you're right. And people heal themselves. It's their journey and what happens in their mind that actually does the healing. Some of us are just guides. So let's talk about uh, what you do. And um, before I forget, let me just say this. The when you when I saw that you do like with work with uh, parts, um, what came to mind was the internal family systems uh, by Richard Schwartz. Um, are 
you familiar with him? Is he like the founder of parts therapy? I'm not sure. I'm familiar with what you're talking about, and I have the worst name association. I'm the person that can tell you I own every album this band ever did, but who is this? <laughs> um, but I am familiar with... Can I just tell you that I, I feel similarly when it comes to Star Trek. Like, I love Star Trek. Um, now, I haven't seen all of the movies, and I haven't seen the original series, but like all the other series, I love them. But my memory is so poor that people will be like, oh yeah, let's talk about this specific species name or this particular thing. And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, you're a, you know, you're an imposter. You're not a real Star Trek fan. I'm like, no, I do. I love it. I just eat it up, but I can't, I can't regurgitate it and repeat it back, but doesn't mean I'm not a real Star Trek yeah, man. I think some people have their brain works in different ways. And for me, I remember the feelings, the sensations. Um, and I remember numbers really well, but I don't remember names very well. I have gotten better the last year or two. But um, with the parts therapy, I work, I work directly with the subconscious mind. And I think, um, his work, you're doing things a little bit more on the conscious level, but because the subconscious mind's language is story and metaphor, that even though you're acting out the things it consciously, that the subconscious mind still gets to integrate it and bring stuff home. It's pretty cool that way. But we go about it in a different way. Okay, so on your website, I had seen an example of uh, you and uh, a client who had agreed to be videotaped mm -hmm. uh, as an example of what some of the work looks like. And um, it seemed similar to me, uh, kind of like hypnosis. Well, the two main ways that I work with people to work with the subconscious mind is through NLP and hypnotherapy. So I actually do hypnosis. I kind of interchange between the two depending on the circumstances, but basically both ways are different languages to be able to speak to the unconscious mind. And okay. Can you explain to me what NLP is? Neurolinguistic Programming is what it's called. It's been around since 70s, in the 70s, I think. When, um, But it's just another way of accessing the subconscious mind and rewriting emotional content. So very similar to what hypnotherapy does. It's almost more directive and not as much of a storytelling. A lot of hypnotherapy, you get your get into storytelling a lot. And NLP is a little bit more active. It almost cuts out a lot of the, you don't generally do deep deepeners. You barely do an induction because as soon as you get your mind into a certain visual aspect, you're there and you can start to do the rewriting. Um, some people I have found need a little bit more. So I will drop in the hypnosis inductions and um, bring people deeper and deeper 
depending on if somebody has a lot of anxiety, they're going to be able to do the work the more relaxed I can get them. Um, I will bring in some storytelling and some hypnotic suggestions, but you're absolutely right, and you don't have to be very deep. You can be in a light trance. You can be in a medium trance. I've had people dip down into a super deep trance where they don't remember everything because they're so deep in, but that's not my ideal place to work. Everything goes a lot slower. <laughs> um, so I usually try and bring them back up to, you know, medium or light trance. But there's a critical factor in our brain, and it's basically the default mode network, which is a circuit that comes online around age 9 or 12, and it starts, I like to call it the assumption brain. It starts... Basically taking things that you've seen before and drawing a conclusion. Mm -hmm. So it's like the judgment. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a saber-toothed tiger over there. There's a cave over there. Danger, safety. I don't see anything else. And so when you get into that hypnotic state or even when you first wake up in the morning or right when you're falling asleep, you're very, you're very much more suggestive. That's why late night um, or suggestible. That's why late night infomercials back in the day were always on because people were so much more susceptible to buying in the at those times. So that circuit kind of drops and isn't so critical. And then you can actually tap in and do the work. Yeah, I was listening to a hypnotist uh, on a podcast talking about her work and she was like, you know, some people say, you know, I, I would never get hypnotized. Well, it's a state of mind, you know, of wavelength, wave brainwave activity that you go through at least twice a day when, you know, upon waking and upon um, going to sleep. And so that's why they were saying, um, you are kind of being, you're hypnotized, like you're in a state of hypnotism, uh, whether you are aware of it or not. And that all of these affirmation cards that you do, you know, during the day, um, they don't really do a whole lot. Um, they do so much more if you have that in your brain as you're falling asleep um, to really embed it and get it into, you know, ingrained into your, your psyche. So if you really want to change how you're thinking, you know, uh, maybe not while you're brushing your teeth, which is still great, but that's not the best time. Maybe, you know, like when you're very first waking up or whenever you're, you know, falling asleep to, you know, have these things yeah. running through your mind. Yeah. Dr. Joe Dispenza has this thing in um, the book that he wrote called Becoming Supernatural. He talks about doing this mind movie and you basically make a manifestation movie of all the things that you want and you watch it right before you go to sleep and right before you, right when you wake up. And it's that same thing. It's getting into your subconscious mind. So your subconscious mind runs the show. We are, when we are a hundred percent on our game and conscious and feeling good, feeling great, not tired, not depleted, not stressed out, 
we can be very conscious and do all the things we want to do. But the moment we get a little bit tired, the moment we feel a little depleted, the, the subconscious mind takes over. Starting from the time I was young, because my childhood was a little topsy-turvy, I really started paying attention to people and really wanted to understand them. And, um, but yeah, as a bartender, I mean, I bartended over 20 years. I really began to understand people in the depths of ways that I don't think most I don't even know if some psychologists understand people the way I got to get to know them. I mean, you see people at their very best. You see them at their worst. You see them when their conscious mind is turned off. So they're operating solely in the unconscious. They're operating from their childhood wounds, their place of nobody heard me, like, the person that sits at the end of the bar and is very quiet until they've had that certain number of drinks and then they drive everybody crazy because they won't shut up. It's like those are usually people that didn't feel heard as a kid. And when you drop that conscious mind enough, that part that really wants to be heard comes out to play. So things like that, just really getting to sort of understand what makes people tick and dealing with them in their unconscious mind. I think I've been doing that for my whole life. My greatest moments behind the bar would be when somebody would come back and say that conversation we had a few weeks, a few months last year, that conversation we had made me go out and change my life. I just wanted to stop in and thank you. Um... I had times with one of my old barbacks. We wanted to do a show that was called Ask Your Bartender. Um, we never followed through, but just that great understanding of people and insight into people, being able to share that. So I don't know that there was one point there were lots of points. Another customer of mine and me, we used to talk about how I should have a YouTube channel and have people ask questions and I would answer them. So long before I started studying what I do as far as, you know, the NLP and the hypnosis and that aspect of it, I was always opening people's minds and shifting their perspectives. And whenever I got somebody to see something from a different way and it opened up more possibility for them, that always just made me feel so good. And I think I toyed with it for a while and I even asked my astrologer, I was like, should I do this? And she was like, no. <laughs> She's like, not okay. yet. <laughs> She's like, not yet. There's all this crazy stuff coming in the world, and it seems like too scary to give up your, you know, she also had her own scarcity mindset. So she was like, don't give up your, your stable work to try something new. <laughs> and, um, so I waited about a year before I said, screw it. It doesn't matter. This is what I was born to do. This is why I'm here. I branded myself in the beginning as a life guide and 
I quickly realized that I wanted to be able to do more for people. And I think because of my own traumatic background, I really wanted to be able to help move, move people through trauma because it is one of the things that imprints a lot of the stories within us, a lot of our self-worth issues, a lot of the limiting beliefs, a lot of the things that hold us back. And so as much as I can open people's perspective with conversations and questions and a lot of the ways most life coaches work, I wanted to be able to do more. And it was really important for me to be able to bring people to a place of a more permanent change, greater healing. I had spent a very long time working to, and doing all of the things. I did all of the things for my own healing and some of them worked, some of them didn't. Um, some of them worked in ways that were very mysterious. I didn't know what they were working on. And like a year later, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, that thing is gone, which was really cool. But the things that were the most directive and effective was hypnotherapy and NLP. And so those were the things that I chose to study because they're incredibly effective and you can choose what you're working on. And the best and most important part is when you're dealing with trauma, you don't actually have to go in and relive the trauma. I think um, some of my trauma when I was working through it in therapy and traditional talk therapy, I re-traumatized myself. I was trying to remember repressed memories. So I was thinking about it so much that it just reinforced in my nervous system over and over and over again. And so I didn't want to have people have to go through that way of trying to heal it because you don't have to talk about it. Somebody can come to me with a trauma and I don't even have to know what it is. They can do all the healing in their mind. I just get to guide them through and be there as a safe space, being able to watch them and feel what's going on with them. So that if they are in a tough place, I can guide them out. It's incredibly powerful and super rewarding. Hi, my name is Natalie Rosnaw, and this is Nonsense with Natalie Corner. I And I have a joke for you. Why... Does a ballerina wear a tutu? Because a 1-1 one one is too small and a 3-3 three three is too big. And this might be a good time to, uh, I guess, talk about teachers. Um, I love how in the Lifestylist podcast, Luke's story ends all of his pods uh, asking his guests this question. So we are including it. I'm including it in mine. Uh, who have been three teachers or teachings in your life that you might share with our audience that they could go research and also learn from? My first major big influential teacher was, I was 27, 28. 
And it was not that long after a really devastating breakup. And it was my very first, after that breakup was my first step into conscious healing. I chose for the first time in my life to feel my feelings, which I had stuffed them my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started doing yoga with this man named John Marino. And he was such a hoot. (laughs) That's such a funny word. Um, But at age 29, he was in a wheelchair with rheumatoid arthritis, HIV, hep C. And when I met him, he was in his 60s and was spry, dancing around. He was so funny and such like a character, but really amazing man. And he really worked with people to, the way he used to say it is, I work with people to get their bodies ready to do yoga. So a lot of people go to a yoga class and you can't necessarily do all the poses in the right way. And he really breaks everything down. We might only do one yoga pose in the whole day, but he would stretch every muscle needed to be able to do that yoga pose the very best you could. And I learned so much about the body and what we hold in the body and what happens to the body. I spent a lot of my life out of my body because of my childhood traumas. And so he was the first person that really, through yoga, and he was a body worker as well, really brought me to be in touch with my body. The overwhelm or emotional events of your childhood actually come up and create triggers And we always say things like, oh, so-and-so triggered me, but it's not actually that somebody else is triggering you. It's that they're pushing a button or a wound within you that needs to be healed. So these days when I recognize that I'm being triggered, I get really excited because I'm something I can heal that next time I won't be triggered. Number three is probably Joe Dispenza. I started meditating before I had toyed with meditation for years and years and years, and I could never really do it. I always thought I was doing it wrong. I had all these beliefs and ideas about how you're supposed to do it. And so I read becoming supernatural. And I geeked out off the neuroscience behind um, meditation. And I went deep down into neuroscience of everything. And, um, And I think because of him, well, I don't know if it's because of him, because I had started meditating before and I'd gotten there regularly. But between him and I think Kyle Cease, I really got to just understand that you don't have to make a big deal out of meditation. You can just close your eyes and sit. And But for, for what really inspired me, I think, was the neuroscience and getting into understanding that the brain is changeable And we don't have to be a certain way all of our lives. People always say, well, that's just how I am. And that's great if that's the way you want to stay. But 
you can totally change who you are. You don't have to be a certain way just because your previous experiences or somebody told you that you're a certain way. You don't have to stay that way if you don't want to. I think people get so hung up with the idea that we have to sit there for a clear mind for however long. And I mean, I sat for two hours today. Was my mind clear that whole time? No way. But for a little while, my brain ran. And sometimes people tell me, like, my brain just spins the whole time. I'm like, that's great. Sometimes you've got to take a dog out to the park to run it so that it can be calmer the rest of the day. Like letting your brain just do what it's going to do is fine. The only thing I ever tell people if they're sitting with like eyes closed and if an uncomfortable feeling comes, and this is a lot of times people jump out, it starts to feel uncomfortable, so they'll jump out. If an uncomfortable feeling comes, whatever you do, just sit through it, get to the other side. It will only take a minute or two. It is usually some stored emotion in your body that has been there that is about to release. If you jump out right as it's about to release, sometimes that emotion's just going to sit on the surface for you the rest of the day and you might feel irritated. If you wait till it gets to the other side, you are literally training your nervous system that you're not going to die. It's oh gosh, it goes back similarly, right, to the uh, cold shower therapy, the cold water therapy. That was right. the whole, that's the whole thing behind it is that you're training your neurological system uh, and your mental capacity. I'm not, I'm not dying. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's super powerful and it usually lasts about 90 seconds because the physical reaction of an emotion in the body is 90 seconds. I did so not know that. Usually, usually we think like, what are you kidding me? I've had emotions that have lasted 10 years, <laughs> but it's because we feed the emotion a story. And when we feed the emotion a story, it keeps winding through the nervous system over and over and over again. But a lot of times in meditation, when that uncomfortable feeling comes up, it is just an emotion that's moving and we often don't have a story attached to it. So it literally will move in about 90 seconds. It's pretty cool. And it trains, it helps to get your nervous system out of fight or flight. And more people than even have any idea are in fight or flight. Their nervous system anyway. <laughs> they might not be running all the time, but um, their nervous system definitely is acting like it is. So in the um, parts therapy, you can um, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're doing is Getting them um, a little subconscious where they're not in a completely analytical thinking mind, um, because again, that's not where the or you said is that's not where the um, real changes are made. It's in the the wounding, the subconscious where that's the pattern, the programming, right? That we all act right. from. So um, once they're in this uh, subconscious 
awareness. Um, can you kind of just do a quick breakdown of what parts therapy looks like? Because I could blunder through it, but I'm just going to let you. <laughs> so the one that, of the video that you saw, we were working on control issues. And so I asked her to connect with the part parts of her that like to control things or have control issues of sorts. And not always does an issue have her, she came up with, there were 12 parts that, and I was like, okay, for this demonstration, that's going to be way too long is what I said in my head. So we're going to work on four. So we, I asked her to connect to the four parts that were the strongest basically. But ultimately when I do this, you can work with one part at a time. And so if you were going to say, if you didn't like sugar, if you didn't wanted to stop eating sugar and, but you have a hard time not eating sugar. So we would work on the part of you that like, that wants sugar. And you ask that part, because here's the thing, everything we do, there's a positive purpose behind it. And even if it's causing some terrible thing, like, you know, you're trying to get healthy, you have diabetes or something and you're, but that part that loves sugar is looking for a positive thing for you. So when I worked on the part of me that loved sugar, and I asked it what it wanted. It wanted what was its positive purpose, and its positive purpose was love. And there's always multiple layers. So it's love, and then I don't remember what else, but it could be from love. It, once it has love, then maybe it could be able to relax. And then once it gets to relax, then maybe it has peace. And once it has peace, then maybe it gets oneness. And you keep going until it gets to the core state of what this part really wants. So for me, I think it was oneness actually in that particular thing. And you flood that feeling, that sensation with the body. And then you ask the part, then you come back down the thing with the oneness in your body. Now, how does that transform and change peace. And, you know, you as the person experiencing would see that and acknowledge that it has shifted the way you looked at peace. And then with oneness in the body now, how does it transform? Um, what was before peace? Relaxing. And then you would see how with, you know, you would be feeling this in this state of oneness and you would see how it transformed the relaxing. And then you would see how it transformed love. And then with the oneness in the body now, you can see that there's no need to eat sugar because you've given it, you've given that part what it really wanted, which was oneness. And these parts of us break off when we're little usually. So mine broke off with, because, or fra kind of fracture off a little bit because I had a deep association with ice cream and my grandfather. 
Mm-hmm. And he was the person that I felt the most love around. So my mind always thought that if I had the ice cream, I could have that love again. But ultimately, and with that love with my grandpa, ultimately I felt oneness. So that's what it ultimately wanted. And it thought it had to go through love and then relax and then peace to get to the oneness. And then in the end, when your body is totally full of oneness, and you ask that part if it realizes it was once part of a bigger whole, and then you bring it home and have it integrate back into the wholeness. And the thing about parts therapy work is I can still eat sugar, of course, and I can still enjoy it, but I don't have that insatiable need because it's just sugar and it now that part is operating with all my 47 years of experience and resources instead of the four-year-old Jenea that only knew how to get love. Oh, I just, I love to describe the complete trauma response to people because a lot of people don't really understand. But if you imagine a spider just jumped on you, you freak out first, you get it off. So you like, you have the fear, then you fight it off. And then once it's on the ground or away from you, you you still shake and like you get the heebie-jeebies and shake it off, Right. That is a complete trauma response. And most of us, whether it be whatever the trauma is through stress or whatever, we stop at some point in there. Maybe it's just the point when you first see the spider or whatever it is. Or maybe it's like after you fight it off, but you don't let it move through the body the rest of the way to, and then it creates triggers. It creates behaviors it creates stories so if uh people go to your website and i'll give you an opportunity here in a second to tell us uh what the that is um uh you just can see that when people want to work with you there's uh often a three-step program there's three mm-hmm. steps right yep. and uh, can you go through those quickly with us sure So the first stage is the clearing stage. And this is where we go through, we clear out the trauma, we clear out, like if you have excessive anger or anxiety or a lot of fear or sadness, we clear out those emotional responses. And that in itself, just that really brings down your excessive emotional reactions down to like 70%. So we clear out the traumas, the excessive emotional reactions. We start to look at the beliefs and what beliefs are not serving you. And so we rewire that stuff to open up and give you more possibility. Money beliefs are so layered. There's money is evil. Rich people suck. Um, Nobody, I can't, you can't create like easy income because you feel like you have to work hard for it. So then you throw it away when you do have the money because you don't feel like you deserve it. And those kind of beliefs really like, remember when I said earlier, unless you're a hundred percent conscious every second of every day, the unconscious mind is going to self-sabotage you. I mean, lottery winners, most of them go broke because of those things those beliefs. And then step 
Two, we really start to work on the self-esteem and the value system and learning how to handle your emotions. Because even though we clear out a lot of your triggers and a lot of that stuff, we want to be able to manage our emotions in real time so that we don't create new triggers. I also teach you to start being able to notice what your personal triggers are and so that you can bring awareness to them. And then, and by getting your values in alignment, it gives you this framework of how to move through your life so that you are not depleting your self-esteem. And stage three, we kind of really solidify everything. Now that I've taught you how to identify your triggers and work with your emotions, I teach people how to do self-hypnosis to heal their own triggers. So in six months, we're not going to cover every trigger that you have. I mean, I work with myself all the time and I still stuff pops up like, where did that come from? But I want to leave people with the tools to be able to be like, whoa, Sally Joe just triggered the hell out of me. And I can look at that and see what's going on within me. And now I can go into my own subconscious mind and heal that original source event so that that trigger doesn't happen anymore. And if you're looking at everything as being a victim of your outside circumstances, how are you going to create the life that you want? I loved this last year. I mean, a lot of people didn't. And I recognize a lot of people had it really hard. And I have a lot of compassion for that. But I also know for myself that... Every time something came up, it was an opportunity for me to do more healing and create more freedom within myself. And that was incredibly powerful. Well, Janae, tell us uh, how people can find out more about you and follow what you're making in your own sandbox. All right. So you, of course, can go to my website, which is I'll give you the easy spelling website, which is gbelevate.com. Um, my Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. If you search hashtag, search hashtag elevation guide, all my social media stuff will come up. Because and I'll have it in the show notes too, so that people can just okay, click on yeah. it. So. Yeah. I feel like people forget how to spell my name. They forget how to say it. So I made sure there were easy ways to find me with Elevation Guide. I've heard before. <laughs> so, yeah, I do YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and then my website. And of course, you can call me or text me at 917 789 3875 with all of your bartender questions. <laughs> <laughs> right seriously well I realized that um I usually tell people how we know each other or how we met and the thing is we don't know each other <laughs> or we true. didn't this before this meeting. call <laughs> right uh so um and I want to encourage I'm telling this so that um, other people will get the nudge that I like this type of introduction. We had a mutual friend with a mutual friend, April Staples. And um, how do you and April know each other? 
April and I know each other from a class that we both were enrolled in. Um, she didn't stay in the class, but we had this kind of instant click. Like the moment I saw her on the Zoom call, I was like, that's my people right there. And I think it was a mutual sort of thing with us. We both sort of had that feeling and connected from there. Okay, cool. Because she was like, um, I have a perfect person for your podcast. Let me connect you. And she's done this a couple of times. So I'm really thankful to her. And if any of the other listeners know of someone they think is fantastic and doing some awesome work, I would encourage them to um, set up introductions as well. So uh, Janaya, I want to appreciate so much you um you just said yes. <laughs> there wasn't any, yes. there wasn't any ask. Well, well, like some people ask first and this is no, uh, no judgment, but um, some people ask, well, what's the um, podcast about, you know, or what's this and that. And I think you may have asked those questions, but you said yes first. <laughs> well, I believe that one of the ways that we create abundance in our life is to be open and welcoming to whatever shows up in our path. Mm. Well, I appreciate you showing up in my path and saying yes and uh, explaining a little bit more about parts therapy uh, to all of our listeners. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun for me. All right. Well, thank you, Janaya, so much for joining me in Sheffy's Sandbox. And to everyone, much love. Mm-hmm.